0: James chapter 1, verse 19, we're going to get through verse 27 here tonight. How can I know the genuineness of my faith? James has been talking about genuine faith. How can I know if I have genuine faith? I've been going through some tests and trials, and I think I have been enduring like James has been saying, but I'm still in the trial. I'm still in the midst of it. How do I know if I am genuinely standing in faith or if I'm just stuck in a bad place? So wouldn't it be great to know the differences between those two? And especially there could be a self-test. Well, that's what James is going to tell us about here tonight. He's going to tell us how to take a self-test to see if we are standing in faith or we're just stuck. Because there's nothing worse than being stuck in the same place thinking you're standing in faith. We don't, we don't want to have that. And you don't want to be standing in faith just thinking that you're stuck and giving up. So it's really important that we know the difference between those two while we are in the test or trial. Now last time we were looking at the test and trials and we always get some great questions out here on Wednesday night. And just to make this clear from some of the questions that came while we were still all here and then some that came after, That some of the tests and trials that come to us, some tests are because of our sin nature or because of our flesh. Some of the tests that we go through are because of our sin nature and because of our flesh. Those are not of God. And that's what he is teaching. They come because of our own our own lust, our own desires for things. And when we think of those situations where God will not put more on us than we can handle, Well, God doesn't put on us those things we bring on ourselves through our flesh reactions. So if you go out and flesh out and and have a poor reaction on things and you get into a test or a trial, well, that doesn't mean that God put you in it or that he's responsible if you get more than you can handle. Sometimes people misunderstand that scripture. That talk about that. So tests your trials can come because of my sin or flesh nature. That has nothing to do with Satan trying to, to uh, do something to me, break me or whatever. And it has nothing to do with a test by God. It is just me that put it, put it, put that on it. There are trials that come from the enemy. He's trying to get us to break and not pursue a promise that God has given us. Then there's tests that come from God. And when God gives these tests, it is to elevate us and take us on to another level. And He's given us that test just like you would take a final in a college course so that you can graduate from that course and go on to another one. It's much like that. So, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So then... So on account of this, now you can go back here as far as you, you might think that he is referring to, but obviously he's going back to something. He's either going back to just the truth he just taught, or he's going back over all the truths that he has taught in this chapter. So if we look at it, that he's going back over all the truths he just taught, he is saying, So then are because I counted all joy when I encounter various trials. So then are because patience is having its perfect work in me. So then, because I can ask for whatever it is that I lack, whatever that test or trial has shown me that I am deficient in, then lack is demonstrated, I can ask for that to be supplied. So then, or because I'm a believer and not a doubter. So then, or because I am enduring temptation. So then, or because I understand evil trials and temptations. And that evil trials and temptations are not of God. They, God did not has no part of the evil that is in there. He's not trying to get you to fall into evil. God was not behind Satan in the garden. Things of, of that nature. I see my so then are because I see my flesh nature in contrast to God's pure nature, because I'm in that place where I don't blame God for the things that are of my sin nature. I see the difference between the two. So then or because I know good gifts come from the Father. So then or because I am here because of God's will. This is why I'm here in this particular place. So then or because we are the first fruits that he has, that he has made. So we can go back as, as far as you want or just go back to the last truth that he was, he was talking about. But either way he's going back to stuff he's building on things here so then he says my beloved brethren lest every man be uh, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak and slow to wrath so he doesn't say that you can't get to a place of wrath he just says get there slowly sometimes we misunderstand that and think that Christians can't be angry And they can't have any wrath. Well, God has wrath. And this particular word for for wrath is the same word that is used very often in in the New Testament for the wrath of God in the book of Revelation. He says, let every man. Now, there's no exceptions here. You are not an exception. That's something we have to understand. When he says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. This is no exceptions. There's no personality allowances. There is no, uh, one of the Christian ways that people do this is say, well, that's the prophet in me. No, that's the flesh in you. (laughs) Stop stop calling it that. There is nothing that I can say about myself that will create an exception. Because he says, let every man. Well, that's just the way I was raised. That's just my personality. That's just how I express myself. We cannot have that. Every man needs to be three things here. Slow to speak, slow to wrath, and quick to hear. Now the hear might be some reference, might have a reference back to verse 18 where he speaks of the word of truth that we were created by. And certainly in the word of God, we are supposed to be hearing the word of truth. His, his reference might be back that. Be, but be quick to hear. Whether it's quick to hear the word of truth, or it's quick to hear what is going on in the situation, or quick to hear what other people are trying to say. Stephen Covey, we've been going through this book as the, in the worship team, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, and one of his habits is, very, uh, one of my, happens to be one of my favorite ones, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Most times people are not trying to understand. They're getting themselves ready to reply to whatever it is that you're saying and are not really focused on listening to you. That's not really helpful. We have to give our attention to hearing what the other people are saying so that I understand. But three things again, real important, and it has bearing on the rest of these verses and certainly for our self-test that we're going to get to. Let every man be swift to hear. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I wanted to read for you Rick Renner's translation on this this verse. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, set your focus on becoming a good listener and do it with all your might as if you are in a competition to win the race of being the best listener. <laughs> that That's good. Sounds very much like Rick. He likes to get... Um, very very wordy sometimes in in bringing out the meaning, but it's uh very functional. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, set your focus on becoming a good listener. I will listen. I will listen to when people are trying to speak to me. I will listen to when my God is trying to speak to me. And do it with all your might, as if you are in competition to win the race of being the best listener. So we must be hearers first, speakers second. Hearers first, speakers second. There's nothing worse than to speak without all the information. Have you ever said something, spoken to a situation, but you did not have all the information at hand yet? I'm sure most of us can can say that. A, a, A child's involved in a situation and we heard about it, maybe through a principal or a teacher, but they didn't quite give us the full picture. And so when we face that child, we are speaking to them in a way that's not quite accurate because we don't have the full information. We have to make sure we get the full information before we launch out and we begin to say say some things. The um, second part of this verse, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I I think that truth is lost on people sometimes. Sometimes people get so upset at things they see that are, they perceive as being ungodly or they have decided is ungodly or have decided is unscriptural. It may not be. They've just decided that it is in their, uh, little, little world of what they understand. They have decided that those things are that way and they get extremely mad at those things and those people that are involved. That does not replace the righteousness of God. Just because you are getting angry at something you think is against God, whether it is or whether it's not, doesn't mean that you are in the right for it. Moses got wrathful towards the people of Israel for the cause of God. And God was not impressed and removed him from being leader after that. Says so you're not going to take them in. Somebody else is going to do it. Now I have uh in one of my references that wrath seems to imply a continual resentment. That's from some of the nuances of the Greek and in what's involved there, not just the definition. You can get one thing from just a pure definition of the word, but sometimes there are some other nuances that the rest of the Greek brings in. I'm not nearly skilled enough to bring out all that, but uh I have some some works. Well, by people that are far more skilled at the language than I am. But wrath seems to imply a continual resentment. So this seems to be a wrath that comes because of some resentment on the inside. Somehow, somehow, either, I feel like, just looking at from the situation here with James, I feel like in the situations where I'm at in these cities, why did I have to be here? Why did God not let me stay in Israel? Why did I have to be driven out and come out over here? Why am I not being accepted in my new city? Why is it that I don't have a job in my new city? Why is it that my new city is trying to put pressure on me to to worship in ways that I don't want to worship or to do things that I don't want to do? Why do I have to walk down the streets and see the things that I'm seeing? And I can get resentful towards God. And that's you can see he's writing this letter in such a way that that... Attitude seems to have taken place and he's trying to deal with it within his people. So that's probably why some of the nuances of the Greek are here about this particular wrath that is being spoken about here. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We have to make sure that we act right, that we do the right things if we're going to produce the righteousness of God. Now again, he doesn't say that we should not have wrath. You you should just be slow to it. Don't get to it real, real fast. There are things that are said that will try and fire you up and get you into a wrathful state very quickly. Most times, once we've had time to cool down, once we've had time to get a little separation between us and that event, other things came to light and we found out, oh, I would, I should not have been quite that wrathful. I should not have been quite that angry. I should not have said those words the way that I said them. Those things would come out. If I would have listened to James and been slow to wrath, I wouldn't have said the things I did. I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. We don't want to do that. Verse 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So lay aside all filthiness in all overflow of wickedness. Overflow of wickedness here might also be translated remains of wickedness. Here it's, it's put in as overflow, but it may also be the remains of wickedness. And what that would refer to is they had given up some practices. Some of them were heathen. Some of them were, were unsaved. When they got saved, they had given up some practices from their life when they were heathen. But once they gave those things up, there was still some residual wickedness that they hadn't quite cleaned up yet. It's kind of like if you were to drop a plate full of food and it falls to the floor and you take the the food and you go down and you scrape up most of it. And then you throw it away because it landed on the, on the floor and it left a, a bit of a mess. You kind of scrape it off. But you don't go back and clean up all the stuff. You took out most of it but there's still a residual part on the floor. And if you just leave that there, it's going to dry on the floor and it's going to be harder to get up. You want to go back there and clean up all the residual parts that are there. So lay aside all filthiness and overflow or possibly residual wickedness. So get all the big stuff out of the way and then get the little bit of stuff that's, that's still left over once you get that stuff off. Take care of all that. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. If I am going to receive the implanted word, I need to receive it with meekness, but I need to lay aside this filthiness and this wickedness first. There are people who have become angry for things they think they are on God's side for. They're angry. They are wrathful. And it has led them into some things that are not right. And He's saying, put aside that, that anger and then put aside that filthiness that you got involved with. Get rid of all the residual stuff. Once you do that, now receive with meekness the implanted word. Do you know that the more we hang on to the wrong kind of wrath, being angry at the wrong things and holding on to all sorts of filthiness and even residual wickedness, we hinder the word from coming into us and being implanted. I hinder the the word of God from coming inside. If the word of God can't get in me, it won't illuminate me. There's a lot of times you're talking with people about situations that are going on in the world and it just doesn't seem like you can you can get anywhere. You're showing them in the word. Here's where it says this. In the word, this is what's going on. And nope, nope, nope. Christian people, but nope, 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 won't receive it, won't receive it, won't receive it. And you just can't get anywhere because until God gives them that, until they receive the revelation from God, I should say, they they can't change that. And as long as they hold on to it, it's going to bring into their life a certain amount of wickedness and filthiness that they won't even see. They won't even know about. You know, it's just kind of like if, if you go out and you get your... Your, your shirt all dirty, you get all sweaty, you, you may not stink enough for you to notice it. But other people can notice it right away. But if I don't notice my own, my own stink, my own, I don't know to go home and get a shower and get changed, I think, well, I'm okay. Cause I kinda, you kinda get used to your own stink a little bit once it gets real, real bad, then you realize I gotta go do something about this. But, uh, otherwise you can just not, uh, not even know. And people can get used to a certain amount of wickedness and filthiness and think it's right, especially when they are blaming God for what Satan does, giving God credit for what Satan has done. Then you are actually being wrathful against the things of God when you think you are wrathful against the things of Satan. People have done this. If you need a case in point in the word of God, because the word of God is best our best case in points, the Pharisees were wrathful towards Jesus. They were wrathful towards John. They were wrathful towards Stephen. They had wrath towards many of the disciples. But they were wrathful against the things of God. They branded it as things of the devil. And that's how they looked at it. But they were actually fighting against God. So we've got to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness... The implanted word. You cannot receive the word of God with the revelation that you need in this life with pride. You'll shut it right down. I'll I'll hear some things. I'll see some things. But it won't be the stuff that I need. It won't be that implanted word. Which he puts here. Which is able to save your souls. It is able to save your souls. I put here. I saw somebody made a note about three P's. As far as the part of salvation was going to go. You can write these down if you want to. But the three P's are this. The penalty of sin. The power of sin. And the presence of sin. When we got saved. We got saved from the penalty of sin. We got saved from the power of sin. And we got saved from the presence of sin. Glory to God for that. So, we need to hear, and we need to receive, and then he goes into verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. So, we hear, we receive, and we perform. That's how it needs to go. I need to hear, I need to receive, and then I need to perform. Now, he gives the parable of the two builders in Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27. We're not going there. just if you want to write that down there's a parable there of of the two builders remember one builder built his house on the sand and the other one built his house on the rock and the one who built his house on the sand heard but didn't do the one who built his house on the rock is the one who heard and did the only difference between the two was one did and one did not and so when the storm came the one who built it on the sand, that that uh, house went away. The one who built it on the rock, that one stood up. It stood the test of trial that came against it. So it's very similar to what James is talking about here in that particular parable. And if you want to go back and read that, it is there for you to do so. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Not merely hearers. Deceiving yourselves. Some translations, I think, even put that aspect in there not merely hearers if you are only one who hears and not one who does you are deceiving yourself into thinking that you are actually doing something that is beneficial just because you heard but didn't do doesn't mean anything so we are deceiving ourselves this this phrase here deceiving yourselves carries the idea of false reasoning false reasoning what they did, those, those who don't do the word, those who hear the word but don't do it, they rationalize in their heads why they don't have to be obedient. Haven't you heard people doing this? You know, the word of God says, uh, we'll just go to, you know, one of the old, old standbys. Don't be unequally yoked. How many have ever heard somebody rationalize that? No, we heard that all the time. We hear people rationalize that. You know, they, they may even quote it. Until they hit a situation where, hmm, I'm not so sure about this. And then they begin to rationalize in their head. Well, I think God may have brought me into their life for a particular reason. And so we begin to rationalize. And this is what happens when someone is a hearer and not a doer. They have rationalized why they don't need to do something. There's a rationalization that goes on there. When he says deceiving yourselves... The Greek carries the idea of false reasoning. Not true reasoning. This is false reasoning. It makes sense to them. But how many times have you heard somebody make an argument for the Word of God? It seems to make sense to them and you're thinking, man, this is gibberish. This is, God. how can the, wor- how in the world can somebody believe this? But they do. They have deceived themselves with this false reasoning. And there are many people out there that have done that. Remember the parable of the priest and the Levite. I didn't write down the reference for that one, but it's a couple of I think there's three different places in the scriptures. you can find that. But the priest and the Levite, when they saw the, the injured man on the side of the road, the priest and the Levite both rationalized why they don't have to do anything for the man in the parable. They rationalized why they didn't have to do this. And this is what Christians do. They, I heard what the word said, but I'm not going to do it, and I will rationalize why I won't. The Levite and the priest knew what the word of God told them they should do to help their fellow man, but they said, "Well, he's he's not my fellow man. He is, you know, he's he's just not up to par with. He's not one of the ones that I'm responsible for." And so they made made uh, reasonings. They made rational decisions in their own mind. But what it was is, I was a hearer, I heard the word, but I'm not bringing my behavior into line with what I heard. In order for me to reconcile that, I have to rationalize in myself, well, I'm not doing it because of this. And I get to the place where it makes sense to me, and that's why deceiving yourselves, he says, He it's translated that way, but it carries the idea of a false reasoning. In verse 21 and 22, reading from Weiss, this is how he translates these. "The uh, Moreover, keep on becoming doers of the word. It isn't something that you just become one time. I have to keep on becoming doers of the word. And stop being hearers only, reasoning yourselves into a false premise and thus deceiving yourselves. That's how he translates these particular ones. Keep on becoming a doer of the word. Because when I hear more word, I then have to become a doer of it. And then I go out and I hear more word. And I have to go out and become a doer of that. And then I hear more word. And then I have to go out and become a doer of that. So it's an ongoing, constant process. At any point the enemy is going to try and get you to stop being a doer and to be merely a hearer. Once he's done that, he's taken away your power. Now, I have wished for the next couple of verses too, but it's in the wrong place, so I have to remember to come back so you can remind me if I forget. Verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed for what he does. Now this word observation, this is basically observation without changing. For if a man is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Look at this, for he observes himself, goes away. Now look at look at this, think it you got to put yourself in this place. Put yourself inside the the shoes of the man or woman who's coming to the mirror. Picture yourself in the morning, midday, whenever it is that you would come up to a mirror. You would go up to the mirror if you're getting ready to go out to work, If you're getting ready to go out to church, you would come up to the mirror and you would look in the mirror. What are you looking for in the mirror? I'm looking for something that is not right. If I'm just looking to come up to the mirror and say, man, will you look at that? Wow. (laughs) that's, That's probably a wrong reason to be going in front of the mirror, but I would go in front of the mirror because I'm trying to see, is my hair out of place? Did I forget to shave something on my face? Is my tie straightened up? Is my collar flat? You know, we're, we're looking for all these kind of things. We go up to the mirror because I'm wondering. You know, you know, some of the ladies, they go up to the mirror. and They might want to check out some of their makeup. that they, they put makeup on, they want to make sure that the, that's good. I don't have that issue. <laughs> I never will have that issue. <laughs> my kids always try to, you know, when they're, when they're little, you know, try and get to put stuff on. And I'm not saying that people who let their kids put stuff on them or, or anything bad or anything like that. It's just that you were not getting that near me. You were not. The little, little girl still tries to come up and try and put stuff on me. Nope. Nope. So give me the eyes and the smile. It's not coming near here. <laughs> it will not come nigh me is <laughs> what I say. Now, again, if, if you uh, want little kids to do that, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong, wrong with that. Um, if you are putting it on yourself, guys, uh, there is something wrong with that. <laughs> you should not be you should not be doing that, that sort of stuff now, Let the ladies have the have the the makeup uh, if i want some makeup i go out and play football in the mud that's that's makeup for me uh, i enjoy that go out for a cross-country run get in the sloppy mud and get it slopped all around that i like that kind of makeup not too many people i understand do but Anyway, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. They're coming up to the mirror. They're looking. They're seeing the imperfections. And they're saying, huh, oh, we're all right. They make no changes. There's nothing in there about making a change. They just come and they observe. People that are hearers and not doers are people that are coming up to the mirror and just observing what is there. Not making any changes to it. Well, my tie's not right. Well, my collar's not right. Well, my hair's out of place. Yeah, it is. But that's alright. You see, the Word will tell you certain things are not right in your life. And then the Word expects you to go out and to change those things. But they're not doing it because they are a hearer only. So every time that you go up into the mirror and you're ready to make an adjustment, just confess to yourself, I am a doer of what I hear. I am a doer, not just a hearer. And you go up to that mirror and you see something and you fix it. Why did you fix it? Tell yourself, because I'm a doer, not just a hearer. I don't just observe things that are wrong. I observe to change them. To make an uh, alteration, so this is what we need to do. So he, he observes himself, goes away, and merely forgets what kind of man he was. Look at twenty-five. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now notice the difference in wording. For anyone is a he, for who, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away. Now look at the change. Verse 25. But he who looks into. We have a word change here in the Greek. He who looks into. I wrote the word out there for you. It is in contrast to the casual observing of verse 24. And I followed this out in some of the places in Scripture. I'm going to read for you. Let me well no I don't want to, to do that Just uh, you can write this down if you want to in John chapter 20 verse 5 and 11 John chapter 20 verse 5 and 11 this word is used speaking of John and then speaking of Mary when they looked into the tomb where Jesus had laid when they looked into the tomb this word is talking it has a picture of a person who stoops To look over closely at something, giving it careful examination. So if you were to come up and see something on the ground, I can observe it from up here. I can see that there's something on the ground. But if I'm going to graduate from that word observe and go to the word look into, it's when I get down real close and begin to examine what it is that's down there. Is that something of interest? Is that something that I want to do? when they observed the tomb, they didn't just stand back there and take a look at this and say, well, yeah, there's the tomb. No, they stooped in there. They looked in there closely. They were observing how the grave clothes were there, how the body wasn't present. What was around on? What's going around on the walls or is there anybody else in there? They were observing intently. They wanted to see what is going on. How is it? That the body of Jesus is no longer here. That's where this word changes. But he looks into the perfect law of liberty. He's not observing. He's looking into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one may be blessed in what he does. A forgetful hearer, is one like this. If you're at, at home and the husband or the wife is going out to the store and the, whoever is staying home, maybe the wife is staying home, the husband's going out and get some stuff, the wife is cooking up some, some things, some things that maybe the husband is wanting to eat, some things the wife wants to eat, whatever it might be, and they may say to them, would you get me some and they may give you a list of three or four things. And the person going out to the store hears what they said. I need some milk, I need some eggs, I need some cheese, and I need some flour. So we got four things that we have to go out there and get. And so, alright, I hear that, I may even repeat it back to him. You need some eggs, you need some milk, and I repeat the whole list on back to them. And then I get out to the store, and what happens? What was the fourth thing? I mean, I know we, I got this, I, I forgot. I forgot what it was. And so at that point I can just take a shot and and get what I need. But well, you know, fortunately now we've got cell phones, we can always just call them back. And we can, we can do that. And um now, see I got a real fancy cell phone, I can just pull out my little pin. And, i can pull when i pull out that little pen it automatically without me doing anything it goes to a screen in which i can write on the phone don't have to turn the phone on i'm just on the screen i can write on the phone and i can write down the things i'm supposed to pick up there and then i can set that as my screensaver with just a touch of a button and for the next 30 45 minutes that's my screensaver all i have to do is touch the on button don't even have to light up the phone just touch the on button and there's my list and then after 45, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever time it's, it's set for, and then it, it goes away and goes back to the normal screensaver. But that's long enough for me to go out to the store. What was that I needed? See, I can write it down. Because I don't want to be a forgetful hearer. So I, what's important is that I remember. It's not important how I remember. All that's important is that I remember. If I can trust my memory, then great. You ever been to one of those restaurants and the the waiter, waitress comes up and they just have a phenomenal memory and they can hear four, five, six, seven, eight people on the table. What you want, what you want, what you want and never write anything down. And are you sure you got this? You didn't write anything down. I got it. I got it. I don't care how they remember. All we care about is that they remember. God does not care how you remember. What he cares about is that you remember. If it's best for you to remember by writing it down, by writing it on your phone or writing it on a card or whatever it might be, however you are helped in remembering, do it. Get yourself to remember because it's important that you do. For he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer. Not only are we looking into the perfect law of liberty and not the law of bondage, but the law of liberty. Some people have the law and they try and bring people into bondage. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt. And that's, they haven't looked. They haven't seen the law of liberty that is there. That is is the New Testament. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, not just that, and is not a forgetful hearer. Wouldn't you think that if you continued in the truth, that you're not a forgetful hearer? Wouldn't that make sense? If I continue to do those things, am I therefore not a forgetful hearer? But apparently what he wants you to do is not only continue in those things, he wants you to continually go over the things that you heard. Keep telling yourself the things that you heard. Don't forget. Because, if you go all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve were a, they continually did what God said to do, but apparently, at least for Eve, don't know about Adam, he might have as, as well, but at least for Eve, she was not remembering what was said, what was, what she heard. So she continued in what she was supposed to do, stay away from the tree, don't eat the tree, whatever, whatever it was. But she was a forgetful hearer. Has God really said See, she was a forgetful hearer. She didn't remember exactly what was said. And so when he, the serpent, said the things that he did, he confused the issue and stopped them from being, or from continuing in what they had been continuing in. Can you see why it's important? Why this is separated. I could be continuing in the things I'm supposed to be doing, but if I stop being a hearer, and continually going over the things that were said, I will eventually stop continuing in what I am doing. Because the reason that I'm doing them is because of what I heard. So if I can get distance from what I heard, I will eventually stop continuing in what I heard. So he separates it here, that you would continue in those things and not be a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. You will be blessed not just because you continue in it. You will be blessed because you continue in it and it's not a forgetful hearer. Now his whole thing here, he's been talking about under fire. You're under trials. You're under test. You need to endure. You need to outlast this test. If I am not continually going over the things that I heard, my endurance will eventually be stopped because... What I heard got corrupted. The enemy was able to come in and corrupt what it is that I heard. Has God really said? It will get me to to stop. So we have observation without changing. Cannot be doing that. you got to have observation with changing. When I observe and see, well, this is what's going on here. I need to change it. I need to alter something. Now, the natural mirror he's talking about here, when a man comes up to a natural mirror, you see what you are. That's all a mirror can do. A mirror, you walk up to it, and all the natural mirror can do is show you who you are. You may envision yourself something different. You come up to the mirror and say, oh, apparently I'm not there yet. (laughs) You may be trying to work out or do some things. But you're not quite there yet. The mirror shows you you are not there yet. Natural mirror. You see what you are. But in a biblical mirror. Not only do you see what you are. You see who you are. But it also adds what you can become. The biblical mirror adds what you can become. When you come up and you look at the law of liberty. It may tell you who you are. It may show you the imperfection that you have, but it also shows you who you can become. Natural mirrors can't do that, but supernatural mirrors can. When you come up to the word of God, it says, "Here's your, here are you right now, but here's who God sees you as. This is where you can go. This is what you can become. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he, he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. He says, If anyone among you thinks, this word here thinks, speaks of self-deception because self-deception has often been a problem for religious people. Religious people have deceived themselves into thinking I'm okay. Things are alright the way that they are. I'm going in a good direction. Even uh, unsaved people have deceived themselves. Well, I don't believe there is a God. And they believe that they're safe because of that. Well, I don't believe that God would send anyone to hell. And they think that they are saved on the basis of that. They have deceived themselves. If anyone among you thinks he is religious... God does not care what people think. He does not care what their truth is. He cares about His truth. You can have all the truth you want. Just because you call truth does not mean it is truth. Our goal here in life is to find out what the truth is and to live it. Not just to hear the truth, but become a doer of it. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one religion, this one's religion is useless, pure and undefiled religion. He see, he's not afraid of this term religion. he's just saying if you follow after things after a, a study of the word, after a study of God, if you follow after him in the wrong way, it's useless to you. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Keep yourselves unspotted from the world. Pure and undefiled religion is this, you're going to help people who cannot help you. You're going to help people who cannot help themselves. You're going to reach down to people that are needy. Now see back there, in those days, they didn't have programs to to help people that were widows. They didn't have income after they uh, lost their husband. They visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Too often the Christian church is becoming spotted by the world. Many Christians have adopted just in these recent days we have seen the pressure that is on people to change their idea of what God says marriage is. To change their idea of what God says male and female is. To change their idea how people are born into this world. To change their idea that God sometimes makes mistakes. To change their idea of when life begins. So many things that people have changed their idea on. and The world has left their spots on Christians. But we need to stand up against these things and not accept it. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. You see, true religion will do this to you because I hear the word, I do the word, I don't let that come upon me. That's what we need to, to operate. It. But let's take a look at our self-test that we got here. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but, de- but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Here is the thing. And we know James gets into this later on, but we're, he's, he's bringing it out here now. Your tongue is your self test only true and genuine power of God can overpower the tongue or the words that we are inspired to say then the true source of inspiration becomes evident a bridled tongue would presuppose bridled thinking a bridled tongue would would presuppose bridled thinking. If my tongue is going to come under control of something, then my thoughts would have had to have been bridled before that. My meditation needs to be of Him. My meditation needs to be on good things. My meditation needs to be on the Word. When I think on these things, as the Word tells us about, think on these things then my words begin to change. I can declare with my mouth, I am this way, I am that way, I believe God, whatever it might be. But when the pressure comes on, when the test or trial comes on and exerts pressure and it begins to squeeze out of me what's on the inside, it is seen by my tongue. And people will begin to say things when that pressure comes on. You'll you'll see people, they've been in that pressure situation for a little while. They've been in that situation. I haven't seen anything change. I didn't think this was going to work anyway. Begins to come out. Things like, like this. I guess God doesn't care about me. You see, their tongue is releasing things. Now, the reason they're saying that is, first off, they had thoughts that way. They began to think that God didn't care about them. Just like the disciples in the boat when the storm came up. And they're there bailing the water out. Jesus is sleeping. They're bailing the water out. Jesus is sleeping. Thoughts begin to come in. They begin to meditate on some thoughts. Why doesn't Jesus come and help? We're doing this for him. He wants to get the other. We didn't want to go to the other side. He wants to go to the other side. Why isn't he here helping us? And eventually they got to the spot where they rush on down to where he is and wake him up. Master, don't you care that we're perishing? (laughs) See, their, their words came out. They weren't bridled. If you go back to the word wrath, people who have resentment in their heart are motivated to speak words of resentment, bitterness, and jealousy. Remember his word wrath had that note of resentment to it. When I've got resentment in there, just like the disciples who came up to Jesus in the boat, there was resentment. Why didn't Jesus do this? Why wasn't Jesus acting this way? Why didn't Jesus stop it? There's resentment in their heart. They're motivated to speak words of resentment. They're motivated to speak words of bitterness. They're motivated to speak words of jealousy. And they, they fail to speak the truth in love like Ephesians 4.15 tells us to. Pure and undefiled religion is this, he says. But see, they, they have become spotted. This word here for visit, when he says visit the, uh, the orphans and the widows, this word for, for visit is to look for, inspect, not just coming and see, not just coming and observing, you're coming to, to visit, you're coming in to inspect, you're coming in to, uh, check these things out and seeing what's going on. Hebrews 2 and verse 6 uses this word, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? That word there, take care of him, is this word. Some other similar words, very very similar to this this word, are are used in First Peter two twelve. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Is Jesus just coming down in that day of visitation? Just observing? Uh huh. He's interacting. In first Peter two twenty four, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now when this word is used in a noun form, it's translated bishop or overseer. You'll see that in first Timothy three, one and two, where it's talking about the bishop or the overseer in there. That's what this word is, is speaking to. So there's an overseeing aspect of this. So when you come in and visit, it's not just to come in and observe. It's coming in to, to inspect, to oversee, to check out. Now let's get back to our test here. We want to define this a little better for you. When you when your faith, I'm, I messed that up. I changed it at one point and left your R off. So when your faith is under trial and you being under pressure produce words of, because you are you got to bridle the tongue. It is your tongue that will tell you where you are. It is your tongue that is going to help you understand am I in faith in the trial or am I just stuck? It's your tongue that is going to tell you. So, when your faith is under trial and you're under pressure, you are going to produce words of and you can write in as much of this as you want to. If you don't get any of it, you can come up here. I'll leave this, this thing on here for you. You are going to produce words of Grumbling and complaining instead of joy. Grumbling and complaining instead of joy. That's one of the first things you're going to see. Because he said when you encounter trials, what are you supposed to do? Encounter all joy. If I'm encountering trials and I'm grumbling and complaining, even though on the outside I may say, Well, glory to God. God's, but inside I'm grumbling and complaining. Eventually that grumbling and complaining is going to come out. How's it come out? It may not come out in front of other people for a while, but it will come out in my prayer life. It will come out when I'm talking with God. I'll get, God, why am I still in this? God, why hasn't this thing changed? You see, I'm not counting it all joy. I'm grumbling and I'm complaining. Maybe other people can't observe it just yet. The pressure hasn't been put on quite, quite enough to, to squirt it out when, when I'm in front of other people. I still can keep it under control for that. But you see, I'm keeping it under control. I'm not counting at all joy. I'm trying to present as counted at all joy. There's a difference. When you're when your faith is under trial and you're being under pressure, you will produce words of resentment instead of request to God. I begin to resent that the fact that God has left me in this test of trial and it has exposed a shortage, a lack. I don't have the wisdom I need. I don't have the money I need. I don't have the strength that I need. I don't have something that I need. And I see the lack. And I begin to think thoughts of resentment towards God. Why has God left me without these things that I need in this test of trial? And I have words of resentment. My words will come out in such a way. I don't understand why God's doing this. I don't understand why this hasn't happened yet. You see... I'm not there yet. I'm I'm showing signs of being stuck not in faith. Resentment instead of request to God. We're going to produce words of doubt instead of faith. Remember he talked about a double-minded man? Unstable in all all his ways. Don't, Don't let that man think he's going to receive anything from God. He's not in faith. He's in doubt. If I got words that are always speaking about doubt, I just don't know that this is ever going to change. I don't know that this is ever going, I don't know that I'm ever going to get out of this. It seems like this is always constantly going on. It seems like this is always the way that it is. I'm not in faith. I'm speaking words of doubt. They may be words that are internal. I may be speaking them to myself. I may just be thinking them, but they eventually will come out. And I need to get in front of the mirror and let that mirror show me you have got words of doubt. You have got words of resentment. You have got words of grumbling and complaining. i got to let that mirror show that to me. Ah, yes, I see that. The mirror is shown to me so I can fix it. I don't come up to the mirror and look at the tie and say, Ah, it's not right. I, I just can't get it to go right. Well, I'll just give up. No, if i got the tie and it's not right, I try and adjust it. If I can't adjust it and make it right, I take it apart and I put it all back together again. And then we, we we do it again. If it, if you can't get it right, you fix it. You don't just give up. So, when I'm under pressure, I produce words of despair instead of joy because of change of condition. I have despair because of a change of condition. I've gone from one state to another state. And I'm not quite in the glory state that I'm I'm told to be in by James. When I'm under pressure, I produce words of deception received instead of understanding gained. I speak words of deception received instead of understanding gained. You see, when the pressure comes on, I generally go back to what I used to do. I go back to what is comfortable. I go back to what I was I was working at before. No matter what it is that we're doing. If you get on a new diet and if you don't see the results from that new diet, what do you do after you get frustrated and speak words of this diet is not working, what do you do? You go back to the foods you ate before that you are now missing. We go back. I go. I speak words of deception received instead of understanding gained. I need to always be pressing in to gain more understanding. Because where I am in life, there's a whole lot of things I don't understand. And there's some deception I have allowed into my life. I'm not aware of it. If I was aware that there was deception, I would take care of it. But if I still keep coming before that mirror standing before that that supernatural mirror that biblical mirror and it reflects back ah oh, I did not see that deception that was there look at that deception oh yeah. so glad that I could now I can fix that deception but people will go back to deception that they have received in the past instead of understanding that they have gained I'm going to speak words of blaming God instead of understanding his gifts we're going to blame God do not blame God we went over this Do not blame God for the things the devil has done. Don't give him credit for what the devil has done. But people will do this. Well, I guess God must want me to have this. I guess God must want me to to be going through this, or he wouldn't have put it on me, or he wouldn't. Don't put God as the source of something the devil did. Understand who God is. That's why he says every good and every perfect gift comes from above. When you are in these different cities, these different places you're at, you're encountering various trials and various uh, tests that are coming upon you. And something comes that the devil has sent. Understand who it's from. That's from the enemy. It's there to break me. This is from God. It's there to elevate me and to take me to a new level. Don't mix up the two. Understand every good and every perfect gift comes from above. The other stuff comes from the devil. learn about who your God is and don't let that get mixed up. Because your words will start to blame God for things the devil did. Don't do it. The words that I will speak when pressure is put upon me will be words of fleshly wrath instead of spiritual control. In other words, don't be swift to wrath. Don't get there quick. Pressure is going to come on. If I've got the wrong stuff going on inside of me, this is a good test. I'm going to speak words of wrath. I'm going to have reactions of wrath. I'm going to get angry at the people that are there. You ever see people that have a bad reaction and then they come back to you later on, maybe a day later, I'm sorry, I was having a bad day. And I just said some things I didn't really mean to say. See, the pressure came on them. And it, sh- and it showed some things that was going on on the inside. Now, glory to God, they repented. But it's best if you don't have that kind of a reaction. Don't have fleshly wrath instead of spiritual control. Let your spirit control the things that come out of your mouth. Don't let the enemy take over. The enemy wants to let those, all those feelings, all that frustration, all that anger take over and have you speak things because He loves it when you speak wrong words. You empower the wrong stuff. Just smile at Him and say, I'm not about to speak that. <laughs> Just start laughing at Him. Uh-uh, I'm not speaking that. My God loves me. My God knows exactly where I am and my God is going to supply me with the very things that I need to get over this. That's what we need to do. Don't be like Israel who every time they faced something they had some pressure and exposed were lack of water, lack of food. What did they do? They spoke words that are not not in a very good way with this list that we're looking at here. So fleshly wrath instead of spiritual control. Here's the last one. Useless observation instead of hope through faith. Useless observation instead of hope through faith. I come up to the mirror I look, yeah, alright. I look a mess and then I go away. Useless observation instead of hope through faith. When I come up to that mirror, that spiritual mirror, and I have the eyes of faith and I can see, all right, here's where I am, but this is what the Bible says where I can be. This is where the Bible says that I can get you. I've got that hope and I've got my faith on that hope of where I'm going to be at. Father God, I thank you that you said this is my end. Not the one that I'm looking at, not the one the devil's trying to tell me this is your end. No, no, sir, father. You told me in the word that I will go this direction, that I will have success, that you will take me in this, this direction. I thank you for it. We have eyes of faith in this. So don't get into useless observation instead of hope through faith. See, I'll always be what I, I'll always be what I see instead of declaring to see what God sees and what He promises. I'll always be what I see. If that's all I can see is what the natural mirror tells me, that's all I'm going to be. But i got to get beyond just that. i got to get to the point where I can declare with my mouth and with my eyes of faith, see what God sees and see what God promises. The test is in the tongue. It reveals what is in your thoughts and your heart. And it exposes your declarations of who you are, true or false. What I'm saying when the pressure is put on, this is going to expose. I may be saying, well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the head and not the... Die. I may be saying all those right things, but when the pressure comes on, I knew this wouldn't work. See, that's exposing the real stuff. That's your real test. If that's the kind of stuff that comes out when you're when you're squeezed, then you are stuck. You're just stuck. If you get pressure put on you and out comes faith-filled words, you're not stuck. You are in the middle of a test or trial and you're coming out on the other side. It's really easy to be able to tell the difference. The bridled tongue presupposes Bridal thoughts. You get those things in line. The enemy is going to try and throw your way fiery darts. We, we looked at before in the past. Fiery darts are merely thoughts. There are thoughts he puts on the inside. Just like he did in the garden. Has God truly said? You can go through many other places in the word of God where when the enemy comes, he fires thoughts. He tries to get you to think on things that are not the Word of God. And if He can do so, He can pull you down. Three places where trials are going to come, one is from, from God. When it comes from God, God is trying to advance you. When it comes from the devil, He's trying to break you. And when it comes from my own flesh, because I'm stupid. <laughs> Don't be doing that. There's nothing to be gained from a trial of flesh. Nothing to, you're not going to be advanced in the kingdom of God. And the devil did not aim it at you to try and break you. Some people will say that. Well, the devil's just trying to test me. He's just trying to see what I'm made of. No, your own mouth opened up and you said stuff you shouldn't have said. Don't be doing that sort of thing. So understand those, those three areas of test and they all have different, different places. The flesh one shouldn't have any place in your life at all. The enemy is going to have a place in your life. You may not like it but the enemy is going to try and test you and break you. But God says he can't just keep hanging on to what I've showed you to do. See, when that squeeze comes on, what kind of things are going to come out? Father, I thank you for your word. No matter what test or what trial that we are in, our words will tell us where we're at. Our thoughts will help us identify where we are in all this process. Is the enemy getting the upper hand? Or am I still having the upper hand Do we have words of faith? Do we have words of hope? Or are we speaking words of wrath? Are we speaking words of complaining and grumbling? You've given us an easy way for us to be able to tell where we are in these tests and in these trials. And as James continues to teach Now tell us more about what we can do to have victory in these areas. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.